Hi, before we start this podcast, I want to correct something. So during this conversation, I kept saying 1 over n squared, and I actually meant 1 over 2n. Um, I know that's a thing that musicians probably don't think about, but um, I was mathematically incorrect, and I just wanted to fix that before we started. Anyway, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to Take Note. Um, this episode, we're going to be bringing on a special guest, um, Brian Rosenblatt. I mean, Rosenblatt. Um, he, I say that because he's a bass trombone player. It's a nickname we have at BSU. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Brian, you're a, you're a bass trombone player. Um, you're a grad student uh, getting your master's in um, geophysics, specializing in, well, not specializing, but just uh, studying, sorry, studying um, acoustics of volcanoes is that right yeah that's right so could you go into more detail about that so like is um 2020 the next the next plan for 2020 is like yellowstone gonna erupt in september uh do you know anything about that using your uh i'm kidding but using my listening skills uh i don't think yellowstone's gonna erupt very soon to be honest um but yeah, that's not necessarily what I'm looking at. I'm looking at. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you want me to get into it or not. <laughs> no, please do. I'd love to. I'd love to learn about it. So I'm basically studying these open vent volcanoes. Um, mm-hmm. Yellowstone wouldn't necessarily be considered an open vent volcano, um, but I'm studying these open vent volcanoes and like basically recording these super low frequency waves we call them infrasound that come that result from um different properties kind of complex properties but basically you could imagine them as just gigantic horns they're just like earth's biggest horns so i'm using like the the way these really low frequencies like refract to the speed that they're traveling and stuff to try to like identify facts about like why why um they're formed i guess and like other factors about the volcano like ultimately the goal is to like mitigate hazards and whatnot but i'm just like i honestly think of them as like gigantic horns so (laughs) i study them like just thinking like i'm standing on a gigantic like trombone right now and like there's a lot of good analogies with it too and the math honestly works out pretty similar so Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's waves right um and it's kind of funny um i hadn't ever heard uh i haven't have evan i haven't ever heard the term um infra what what was that what was that infrasound infrasound um but it kind of makes sense when you think about spectrums of light i mean the spectrum of light so infrared as a lower yep. frequency, right? Um, yep. So it's just, I just find that interesting. And you've definitely parallels. heard of ultrasounds before, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Ultra, ultra red. Yeah, no. ultra red. Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, ultra red, infrared, ultraviolet. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, it's just kind of cool that uh, when you have a wave, basically the properties um, are analogous to different mediums. Um, not mediums, oh, yeah. different uh, different forms. So yeah. when you have music, um, that's kind of why we're bringing you on. This is a composition podcast, and 
we're going to be talking about how just what waves are, why do we need to learn about them, why are they important. Um, and I believe that you are a perfect um, person to bring on for this because this is literally what you're studying, just a really cool aspect of it, just like a really cool focus that I honestly am fascinated by. I, um, I'm curious, so you said the different speeds that the frequencies travel. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Because you have the speed of sound, which is in air, but it's different in solids um, and different types of solids, right? Different materials. Yeah. But also, frequency is the distance something travels in a certain period of, not in a certain period of time. No, in a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. So doesn't that already have the velocity? Yeah, I mean, so it has like a known velocity, but that velocity can vary like over a continuous medium. So if there's pockets uh... of hotter areas, um, that will cause an increase in frequency, ultimately resulting in an increase in um, like sound speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and also wind can add like a Doppler effect to sound. As oh, well. yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I remember we had this conversation, um, when you were driving me somewhere, I can't remember. Um, but you were talking about how when you have a bunch of people, um, occupying a space, I know that's crazy during COVID. You'd never think yeah. about that. <laughs> but when you have like a, um, auditorium um filled with people the temperature rises in the air right um which means that the air is going to uh, not the air the uh uh the sound is going to travel faster and so i don't know i just i just think it's uh, is is that correct yeah i mean generally yeah but like it's also Ultimately, like the hotter air is like less dense, and that's what's causing like the things to change speed. And so, oh, is it because they're easier to travel through? Because they're less dense. When it's well, no, the sound wave. Wrong. Oh, okay. I said that. The moving wave is. I was wrong. The density that's moving, and not the particles that are moving, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's actually a more dense thing will have a faster sound speed because mm-hmm. it'll bump much easier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes okay. That makes sense. Which is so there's like these plots of like this volcano makes a noise and it basically like when Mount St Helens erupted in the 80s, mm-hmm. there was houses right next to it that didn't even hear the eruption at all. They were effectively in shadow zones, which is because the way that the sound propagated was up into the atmosphere. As it goes higher, it becomes less dense, so it starts to like refract. Basically, like that prism you see, how the different like sound waves will um, refract because of like how they spread out in the medium. So that happened up as it um, propagated into the atmosphere and caused it to bend and come back down. And so, like, it creates this, like, area right here where, like, right next to the uh, volcano, nobody could hear it. But, like, the town over, which was farther away, could, like, hear it very well. Is that similar to um, when you have, I mean, I remember you talking, like, not talking about, you setting up the sound system for 
um, Blue Thunder one or uh, one day, I can't remember when, but you were talking about the direction of those speakers because of how those speakers were, they were very directional and you'd have these pockets of silence. Is that very, is that similar or what is that? Um, are you, so I think in that case, it wasn't that they were directional. I was just trying to set up like a three component array to record. What does um, that mean? So, like, pardon me, I don't know three... anything. No, 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 it's totally <laughs> fine. I need to, like, I'll start complex and then simple it down. But mm -hmm. basically, it gives me three reference points where I can see, like, that these three points are, like, like, on a clock and they're, like, lined up with GPS. So their location and their, like, timing is, like, um, the same. And so basically, I can use those three reference points to like find the direction that it's coming from based on like which one it hits first, which mm -hmm. which microphone the sound wave hits first, and also the speed by like how long it takes from it to hit one to the other to the other. And mm -hmm. there's like a certain there's a certain way you want to arrange it to maximize that ability. Um, hmm. So that's and probably what I was doing. How would that? How would Joe, um, Doctor Tornello? use that to his advantage in like blue thunder rehearsals yeah so like i've been thinking about this because it'd be pretty cool to work for the marching band or like do something with them mm -hmm. um but what it can tell you is you can like basically filter out a bunch of signals so um it's going to be pretty hard with instruments like it, it's going to take a lot of effort i think and there may, mm -hmm. maybe it's already been done, but I just imagine you you could record like the entire band on the field. One simple thing you can do is just do like a source location and basically just like it would be an arrow pointing in one direction. Hopefully you'd want it right down the middle, right? Because if you have a balanced band, it'll be just pointing straight up into the direction of the field. But um, like... And if you made this like a live mechanism that just like constantly told you which side is like playing louder than the other, it could be a good like balancing tool. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could even expand on that. Like if you did it in three dimensions or like above the band, you could like really pinpoint like pockets where there's like hotter sound. Um, but one of the things that like I've thought hotter about. Hotter meaning louder, more uh, higher yeah. decibels. Uh, yeah. Uh oh. You're frozen. Okay. No, yeah, did? you got digital there. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, um, interesting. Sound sound engineering. Um, I mean, we 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 talked about we we brought on Dr. G to uh, just talk about really basic equipment for sound engineering, how to record instruments, right? Music side of sound engineering, and you're going to more of the practical. Well, not practical. I'm not saying that sound engineering for music isn't practical, but the uh, outside of music uh, applications for it um, yeah. and making it uh, making a difference in the world and making a difference in um, uh, Blue Thunder, which is uh, interesting. And I hadn't really thought about um, using technology in that fashion to gauge the balance of the band. And it's going to change with different sets, right? Because maybe half of the band is I mean one half side one is going to be louder than the other, but that's just because there's a lot of brass on that side, right? 
Yeah, so, ultimately, it could give him the power to just, like, select where he wants sound to be and then fine-tune it, you know? Yeah, I think th that is so cool. I hadn't really thought about that. So, um, getting to the thesis of this pot, no. Um, so, <laughs> the main, the main uh, reason for this podcast is basically talk about waves, right? And so, we, we kind of talked about kind of what you do um, and I just started, we just went on a couple tangents. Sorry about that. That's all good. But, um, so to you, you are in both music and, um, sound engineering, but on like, uh, the mathematics, um, side of the, the acoustics, right? Yeah. Um, so how, what information, uh, what, what would you say to someone who is just getting started into um understanding sound just what is it um how does it work why are there different sounds what is this weird thing called the harmonic series you know like what what do you what do you talk to uh, what do you say to when you talk to say uh i don't know like an elementary school kid who's just like sound is cool you know yeah what do you say? i mean you use things that they've seen before, so you use examples like lightning and thunder mm -hmm. um, to help represent <clears throat> like the idea of what a sound is, that it travels, and that it's like separate from the thing itself, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of other fireworks are a good example, too. Like That's probably where I would go. And like obviously, you can't really explain much about it, but um like math wise but physically like you can tell them it's these sounds that mm -hmm. like travel you can see how they travel slower than light because you can see things before you hear them and mm -hmm. then maybe examples like a um like the doppler effect you'll experience when like a car is honking its horn and driving closer to you um i don't know that might be too advanced mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, or you or have a to motorcycle. Do, 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 do. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. An yeah. ambulance, exactly. Mm -hmm. So maybe they would get it, or even like a an ice cream truck too. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you hear uh, the pitch go up and down. So yeah. yeah, it's so you're going more of the conceptual route, like getting them just yeah. to understand the concepts. Um, so dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, what, uh, from a musical, from a music aspect. What is a sound wave from a music perspective? How do you how would you describe it? Yeah, so like describing the wave itself is like relatively simple, but describing mm -hmm. how the horns make the waves is mm -hmm. actually relatively complex. So let's just say we already have a wave that's coming out of a trombone. And we won't question like how that wave got there. Like basically what's defining this wave and like what you're gonna hear is uh -oh. It's like the pressure. It's a compressional wave in the atmosphere. Um, yeah, like we were saying before, the density is what's traveling, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Essentially, is it's that... like a, there is a displacement that's caused by that. But um, like at, at the simplest way, like the simplest way to imagine it is to imagine it as just a wave front first so like the very front of the horn will just have 
a line that just like comes out of it. And that's just a line of pressure. That's just like density increasing and then decreasing as it passes over that line. Um, and that would be uh-huh. if the trombone just played like one single like note and stopped immediately. Um, okay. But if they so continued. Like, yeah. So if they continued, like you would continue to see these lines um, at like regular intervals, basically. So what you're describing is a period, right? So yeah. Um, yes. If you had it happen only once, basically the um, it wouldn't really have a pitch, right? Well, it um, definitely has a pitch. So like that's exactly. If it only has one, at. if it only has one period, does it have a pitch? Oh, are you saying if it has one period in total? Well, okay, so, so just like one wave. Yes. Yeah. It still has Boy, a pitch. It still has a pitch, and like okay, it all depends on what the period is. Oh, so, if it happened again, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I. So. So it's kind of getting confusing because that that line yep. that I'm talking about. At first, I was just trying to visualize it. It's like what a wavefront is is a bunch of arrows that are all pointing out from the source. So like if you yeah. had a, a circle, let's just think about it in two dimensions. If a circle made a noise, like we're thinking of the sun, but in two dimensions and it could make noise, it would have arrows sticking directly out of it, like in all ways. Mm-hmm. So there'd be like this circular wavefront that would follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, Going on the same plane. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, like at first, they're spherical because like this thing, the the circle is spherical in two dimensions, but as it spreads out farther and farther, and this is exactly what happens with light too, as it spreads out farther and farther, the earth is like this small as it's already, the earth's just a speck as this wave has already like traveled so far and begun to flatten out that it basically just looks like a plane wave to us. And that happens with sound too over like short, really short distances. So approximated to a plane wave. So how does that um, impact music? What it like? What are applications? How? Uh, where do you see that when you're in music? Yeah, I feel like it's just like the result of what you're producing. So like, oh. ultimately, I feel like you don't really need to know about this if you want to make like successful music. Like, maybe it's satisfying to know like what you're doing. But that's like the weird thing about it is like it can be so disconnected. Like I don't know. That's that's what I well. I I understand what you're saying. Like a cool fun fact, you know. Yeah, that's basically what this entire podcast is. Not though, because the only people, the only reason that they're playing these horns is because like people have done this in the past. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's a cool fun fact that like. And are continuing to like if you've listened to Snarky Puppy. They do so much digital audio um, effects and stuff, and it applies to this. I mean, sorry, this applies to that. This is the start. I mean, using microphones, you have to understand some level of waves to understand how to use a microphone, right? So these principles are really important, but, like, getting so in-depth is just more of a, like, hey, this is cool. Um, totally. And it's probably going to go over people's heads. Part of it has already gone over my oh, head. Oh, yeah. And there's probably oh, yeah, times, there's totally <laughs> times where I've like, thought of stuff and I just like can't figure out what's going on because I overthink it. It's easy to overthink oh, yeah. stuff. 
I mean, that's kind of uh, parts of science. As as being a scientist, you're just gonna get so deep in over your head. You're just like, I don't know what's going on. What is the universe? What's happening? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I I feel you. So, um, talk about the harmonic series. What is the harmonic series, and how does it apply to music? The harmonic series is. I could talk forever, but super strange you thing. Say. Yeah, like my definition of it's pretty strange like how i see it is that when you produce a pressure wave that goes through your horn basically like the length of that wave is dependent on the length of your horn so that's like the lowest true note that your horn can produce is is the length of i think it is twice the length of your i want to say no i want to say it's a quarter oh wait because it's a yeah, open closed. <laughs> it's either a quarter or a half. I can't remember, but um, either way, it's like super low. And then there's even and it's in base to... two, right? This is all in base two, logarithmic base. Base? Yeah, logarithmic base oh, two. Oh, you mean like the frequency? One, like the first two, four, uh, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four, one twenty-eight. Oh. Okay. I think you're, yeah, you're talking about like the frequencies, right? Like how close they are, or the pitches. No, when when the, uh, oh no, I'm wrong. This is a harmonic series. This is a this isn't one over x squared. This is one over x. My bad. Okay. Let's just ignore that. I'd probably cut it out. Okay. Anyway, continuing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, and I forgot. We're cutting that out. <laughs> Don't cut that out of what you're saying, Adrian. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of funny. No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but... trying to do, trying to talk math over a no, podcast, over this medium totally. is difficult. I took, so, I yeah. took stats for college credit my senior year, and I haven't had to think about math for a while. I'm pretty good at it. I just don't like thinking about, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. My, it's like, laugh. it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing. Um, I don't know. It's just Common Core just kind of killed it for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my last math class was a calculus too, um, in high school, and I'm pretty good I, one. It was fun. I learned a lot, and we talked a little bit about four-year analysis, which I kind of want to get into later. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, but I I was so I love math so much. I literally hand wrote a math textbook, um, just for fun. Um, I, I, and now I'm doing the same thing with the music theory textbook. Um, you just so rewrote I, it? Is that what you said? Kind of, yeah. I'm writing it in my perspective. Nice. Um, so anyway, how I see the harmonic theory. So, okay. Actually, I'm going to get well, there in a second. Here, here, let me, let me finish my thought. Cause I think. I'm sorry. I totally I interrupted think... you, didn't I? No, no, it's totally good. But you just reminded me. So it's all good. Sure. I remember yeah. my whole thought now. <laughs> Okay. Basically like this, whatever that lowest supported wavelength is, <clears throat> that thing can produce <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Do you that have thing can produce my I just have a scratch in my throat. Uh-huh. I ate some popcorn. Don't give us that that's what does it for me every time, man. Popcorn? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna enjoy some Oh nice my god. Popcorn. It's yeah, so rough. <laughs> 
not only do I get flashbacks from the movie theater, I also just get a scratch <laughs> in my throat, and it's just not a great time. <laughs> and you what? And like, totally. if you still have a kernel or like one of the flakes still in your throat, oh, yeah. and you're like Those are the at Fred Meyer working, mm -hmm. and you start coughing, people are like, "Oh my god." Get well, out of here! Feel like I eat popcorn before I go into my shift at 10 a.m. Did you know <laughs> oh, that popcorn expires? It expires. It yes, I did. I have a, had a popcorn that expired a year ago that I almost ate last night, and I did threw it, it out. Ooh. I didn't Ugh. even try. So it does it just not pop, or does it taste? I don't good? know. I didn't want to try. <laughs> I've popped some. I I think I popped some expired popcorn, and it still popped. It just I mean, it kind of really badly. I was like, oh, nothing Badly. salt can't fix. <laughs> I bet some of it. Salt and butter. Fire. I'm, not okay. a, I'm not a big butter guy. I don't know. All right. We're on a so huge we, tangent anyway. right now. <laughs> Basically, this wave. Let's analyze the sound of those pops and see why expired popcorn. No. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't know. You could probably learn something. Anyway, whatever this right, lowest wave is that you like choose to produce, and like the, these are like basically like the different partials or like whatever sound wave you end up blowing through there. There's going to be amounts of that energy that reflect back once it because of the way that the bell is shaped, it like supports sound wave like reflection. So some will reflect like directly back into the bell, and that will happen like multiple times, like stacking. All of these pressure waves and producing like a stable, like harmonic series basically, or harmonic overtone. And like these are like, so this is like the main note that you're playing plus all the supported like frequencies based on like mm -hmm. infinite number of reflections that happen in such a short amount of time. Um, so, so that's like here's... why no one's E flat sounds exactly the same either because like. The way that they push their wave in and like get the reflections and the horns are all different, so it's all like that tone is timbre. Okay. Crazy. So, so the harmonics above the fundamental are just reflections of that fundamental. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, like, okay, there's like, I'm not sure if you're talking about like when you play a B flat, there's like hints of like an F in there and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about, or are you talking about like? Yeah, those would be the play... harmonics. The B flat is the that... fundamental pitch. Yeah, and, the and then you can also pitch. play all those notes in the same like position, somewhat on the. Yeah. Horn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So all of those things that like bounce back and forth, they're basically like the supported, and like that's like the theory for the most part. But like, something really tricky is that these pedal tones that like the trombones can produce, they're not actually supported by the trombone. And what it does is it leaves out that fundamental note. So when you play a pedal, you actually don't play that fundamental pitch. It just has the harmonic like pattern afterwards that supports that first pitch that makes it so like it sounds like a super, super low note. Like if you record it and like look at a spectrogram of it, it's like a false tone. It's not actually in there. Is it's that so what uh, is called the subharmonic series? Or is that completely different? Like, I'm not super sure about, like, the music, like, terminology, so I'm not exactly sure. But so, it could um, Let me look at I, I've taught a couple students the harmonic series, um, and each time it's different how I talk about it. One thing I like to talk about um, is that it applies to everyone, and everyone's done this, is using 
a jump rope with your friend if you have a friend, right? And you you move it up and down, you move it up and down, and you see the wave going. But if you move it at the right speed, not amplitude doesn't matter. If you move it at the right speed, um, it looks like the wave is just going up, down, up, down, up, down. If it's vertically, right? And then if you multiply like it by standing two, wave, it looks like it's standing wave. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, and a standing wave just looks like it just flips between it uh, over itself. So for those viewers who, I mean, listeners who don't know what it is, right? And if you do it twice as fast, you have two standing waves, or one full period, basically. Um, and then you do it three times, you then have three. You do it uh, four times as fast, you have four. Um, and then after that, it's like humanly impossible, depending on the jump rope. But those are the different harmonics of that length and um, the mass and all of the properties of what's going into it. Those those are harmonics of that jump rope in that instant, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's basically what hap is happening on a brass instrument. So when you have, um, when you play a tone, uh, I think he's about to grab his trombone. No, oh, no, he's not. Chargers. Darn it. My phone is dying. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, no, you're fine. I see both of your trombones in the, in, yeah. well, it's funny. Um, yeah, I'm I've got sure all my saxes right here. Um, my... Is that your new trombone? Yes. What is it? Nice. It's my... You're flexing now? It. Sorry, I'm no, stretching. I'm <laughs> Hold on. I forgot, I forgot the model number. I'll have to check. Anyway, uh, as you're looking that up, um, interrupt me when you're done. Um, so basically, this this idea of the jump rope happens all throughout sound, all throughout any wave, including light. It's really I haven't really done too much research on the harmonic si series of light, but it also happens in math. So if you have one over one, that is one standing wave. If you have one over two, that's two standing waves. One over three, three standing waves. One over four, one over five, one over six, one over seven, one over eight. Right. Those are all standing waves, right? Um, and so that's basically it's a um, it's a series. So one over n, and that's it. Um, and that's what I was talking about before: one over n versus one over n squared, um, where we're getting to the logarithmic base. Um, so logarithmic base two would be one over n squared, basically. Um, no pun intended. Um, so any that that's actually a good way yeah. to analyze rhythm yeah, yeah. and tuplets, um, and going into different logarithmic bases to see, oh, we're going to base three using base two in a triplet. So anyway, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, so when you when you play a brass instrument, and I'm talking about brass instruments in particular because you use this a lot, um, is when you change something on your embouchure, some people say you change your lift, some people say you put more pressure, some people say you flip your air, some people say all sorts of things. Nobody really knows how to play a brass instrument. It's a, everyone says it differently. But it's not yeah. as bad as vocal pedagogy. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> you change something and it goes up a, a what they call a partial, right? But really, what it is, it's up a it's up an overtone. It's up a it's up a harmonic, and you're going from one standing wave to the next, um, from mm -hmm. one to two to three to four, and you're going yeah. up and up and up. And you've probably heard. Um, I'm talking you to the viewers, not you, Brian and uh, Adrian, but. People have said, oh, when you, when you have a frequency, you multiply it by two, you go up an octave. That is 100% correct. And this applies. I mean, the harmonic series shows that. 
when you have when you go up from one standing wave to two standing waves, you go up an octave, say from uh, one hertz to two hertz. You can't hear it, but it's a great example. One hertz to two hertz, it's one octave. Two hertz to four hertz, it's one octave, or two octaves above four. I mean, two octaves above one hertz. Um, and this is where I was talking about also where the logarithmic phase two applies, right? Because that is one over n squared. Right. See, that's a, a super good point. But like something that I think makes it super complicated is that the wave that you're producing isn't the first wave because. Oh, yeah. So it's actually like, say you're producing like the seventh wave that can be supported on this, like in terms of the wavelength or something. Mm -hmm. So now that's already a, a factor of seven, like greater than what the root is so it could be multiplied by like fractional amounts <clears throat> and still like stack up to each other in a mm -hmm. similar way that it creates a standing wave so it's like it's weird sorry i don't know if and that no even no sense. no it makes perfect sense um but it might not make sense to a a listener who isn't well versed in uh like wave understanding yeah, like when basically when you're talking about that that jump rope the lowest possible frequency that you can make is just the one wave which is like the length of that jump rope which is technically yeah. a half of half of one wave well like yeah and it just it's depends on how because you could say like oh i could even make like an eighth of like the period before that or like a sixteenth of the period yeah. before that like you could keep making it smaller and smaller so it's just like your reference point but whatever that like main supported wave is that makes like a full wavelength or a half or a quarter like that's your first interval and you can go up from there but when you're playing an instrument you're not starting at that you're not starting at a, a note that has a wavelength of like 30 meters like um the length of a trombone or whatever I don't know if it's 30 meters. You probably shouldn't have said a link that exactly the way you did. Why? Um, I might have to censor that. Why? Um, the length of a trombone or... Oh, is that what I said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to have to uh, um, censor that twice. <laughs> That's anyway... Um, yeah, it's it's interesting the um, um, different ways you can look at it, um, but what's cool is that it applies to literally everything, all sound. Um, when vocalists, when they, uh, I love how you brought up vocal pedagogy, um, the the physics of it. You know when guys go into falsetto, right? They're going yeah. up a harmonic. They're they're they're. It's literally part of the harmonic series. Mm -hmm. They can only go up one. I'm not sure if you can go up multiple, but um, you're literally going up a harmonic. On a saxophone, you can go up harmonics. On a piano, on any string instrument, you can go up a harmonic by lightly touching the string halfway up, mm -hmm. or a quarter of the way up, or so on and so forth, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where the logarithmic phase two applies. That's mm -hmm. what I. That's kind of what I uh, um, was meaning by that. But also, yeah. what's really cool is when you, uh, I was demonstrating to the, my student today, um, I brought out my DAW and took out the equalizer that when you are talking or when you're playing a note, it has all the frequencies 
um, and all of the amplitudes of each, um, just like shown, um, and with the <laughs> piano. And I had him play one note, and it wasn't one note that was uh, being shown. It was about 17. And he noticed, uh, he was young, but he noticed that as you went further to the right, they got uh, closer and closer together until it was just like this big block. That's basically the harmonic series. Because as you go up another octave and more octaves and more octaves up the harmonic series, um, there are going to be more frequencies um, that that harmonic series has. And that's why you go up 4, 8, 16. Between 8 and 16, you have eight more frequencies that you yeah. have in there. Um, yeah. And it, it's so cool. And this, is, this applies to physics. When you're, um, when you're playing one note, you're really playing thousands, yep. infinite notes right yeah and each one's and just getting is, softer yeah the hear. higher frequencies have less of a, an amplitude and they don't mm -hmm. travel as well they attenuate much faster than lower frequencies mm -hmm. i could get into that if you want the physics behind um, it yeah i'd love to um i'm gonna finish this point and we can go into that yeah, yeah, yeah cool um so when you're when you're playing one note like if, if, if you got rid of all of the other harmonics, all of the other notes that were to the uh, right, um, if you're mm -hmm. on a piano, um, it would just be a sine wave. It would just be um, just really simple, the same wave you'd see with your jump rope, the exact same yeah. one, right? Yeah. Um, and it would it would sound boring. Like, it, um, it's just, there's no... Very drone-ish, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the more of those you add on, and the different uh, amplitudes, um, yeah. the the stronger or weaker those different harmonics are, create what musicians call the timbre, or as um, as sound engineers would call the wave shape, right, and yeah. or the waveform. So that's why different music sounds differently. I mean, different uh, sounds sound different um, <laughs> because they have different. Um, amplitudes different um different energy levels of each of those different harmonics and to represent that mathematically is a sine wave plus another sine wave plus another sine wave each one a harmonic higher than the other multiplied by each one multiplied by some sort of coefficient um determined by whatever factors go into that there are infinite factors basically um like for a string you have the rosin um rosin is going to change the timbre or if you have uh a different type of bow how how tight the bow is how tight the string is how like what type of string are you using what how like what material the the body it's, of the like, it's so cool it's like almost impossible to mathematically represent no. a lot of that stuff too it yeah Even you're right with the models mm -hmm. yeah um and that's where vsts come in and really they just record players they don't try to uh i mean that's why that's why when you hear midi sounds it just sounds like really digital but when you hear live musicians you're getting everything mm -hmm. so um they're, they're taking off part of the harmonics because they can't mathematically represent it because we don't have the capabilities of being that accurate yeah just, and even in just producing do. yeah exactly producing the horns they just listen to the players and change and just try to change it like it's crazy it's so cool so yeah. as you were saying, um, you wanted to get into, um, oh God, what was it? Yeah, why the higher notes have lower amplitude. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and well, like initially, like as you would guess, like that first fundamental frequency 
Um, as it leaves the horn, it takes like a lot of the energy with it, and the reflecting waves don't have as much energy. Um, but even if, say, they were all the same amount of energy leaving the horn, the lower frequency wave would make it farther. Um, and you have to think about it as like the air and the pressure around it are like dampening forces. So they they try to dampen the wave from like traveling the longer that it travels. And so these higher frequency waves, so a higher frequency means that the wavelength is shorter. So over mm -hmm. one meter, this one meter long frequency wave, say it can travel like 300 meters before um, before it like starts to get really quiet, before it goes below like minus three dB, which would be like the 70th percentile. Um, and those are decibels. So right? if that, that's like the fact, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. which is just like a reference frame um, for sound, sound um, amplitude, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But when you but get to if, the higher if frequencies, it travels, yeah. Well, like I'm even thinking of this one as a higher frequency. This this oh, uh, uh, one meter long wavelength travels 300 meters. So that means um, it can make 300 cycles. Basically, does that make mm -hmm. sense? It makes 300 cycles, and that's how much energy it, it uses before it goes below this next amplitude due to all the dampening factors. Well, that same wave that's another one that's two meters long will travel twice as long because it it still makes 300 cycles before it uses the same amount of energy as the one meter long wave, but its wavelength is twice as long, so it travels mm. twice as long. Okay. And then there's other factors like um, basically the things that obstruct lower waves have to be the size or of the order of magnitude of the size of the waves. So like higher pitch frequencies will get trapped in rooms more and reflect. Whereas like the the width of your wall can determine like what waves can make it out. And that's why like you'll hear like you'll hear a lot of low pitch stuff coming into like if your room's off to the side or like you can hear low pitches coming into your room really easily, but high pitch stuff not so much. So you know um when when analyzing what you were just talking about from the perspective of musicians and you know of this all both of you all uh, three of you i guess brian's li still listening um band directors have talked about the pyramid of sound the low notes sound louder right uh and and you want that full sound and if you have um the high notes too loud it sounds like a box and uh, it's it's going to feel imbalanced, and it's not going to be right because we are used to the um, low sounds being fuller. Um, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Or low sounds having more energy. Um, yeah. So the thing is, like, but it's also kind of counterintuitive because the higher-pitched horns, I think they can just create a um higher amplitude to begin with so like what i was talking about was just like how these different frequencies will like attenuate which means how their amplitude will decrease over distance um but in the terms of like i've always thought of this super kind of intuitive because why would they tell 
the low notes to play more if their notes like travel farther and stay active for longer. Mm -hmm. But I think the main reason is like the trombone cannot produce um, a at the same amplitude that a trumpet can. Um, so mm -hmm. it already starts off at a lower amplitude, so it just doesn't travel as fast. And it's just it's harder to make those really low frequency waves um, like begin with a higher amplitude. Yeah, I think you're saying the exact the opposite. I I was wrong. I was um, the higher notes are going to sound louder. Um, I completely yeah. flipped the pyramid of no, sound. No, no, but it, that was a good. <laughs> yeah, no, but they're but they related. Do say that though. Yeah, mm -hmm. like. I've always thought it's so weird because low notes should travel faster. So why do they want more low end or like the low to be like the bigger part? Or like, why do they need more of us always? Like, why are we so quiet? Because I'm a bass trombone player, you know? But it's just because like I, I'm at a disadvantage. I can't like supply enough force to create like a high enough amplitude of a low frequency as like the trumpet mm -hmm. that can. Like spitting out, it's like the frequency or sorry, the like velocity of the air has like a lot to do with the amplitude that it can produce. And so like trumpets mm -hmm. blowing like much, much faster velocity air can produce much higher like disturbances of pressure waves in terms of amplitude, like how dense these pressure waves get. They're, they're much closer together because it's a trumpet, but it can blow much faster air, which creates like much stronger density disturbances. Mm -hmm. Whereas trombone and then even more so a tuba can't get as fast of air blowing through there so it's just like the density disturbance is just like weaker and i don't know like to what order but it's obviously a noticeable order mm -hmm. no noticeable amount yeah one thing i am curious about um is basically why an ensemble i don't, I don't this is going to be a difficult question to ask so an ensemble has about, say, say a um, wind ensemble, a concert band, has about 30 different timbres going on simultaneously, um, and people are playing different pitches and everything. We have two diaphragms in our ear, um, and basically diaphragms are the opposite of speakers. It, well, I mean, they're, they're not exactly. The speakers amp... It's a good way to think about speakers can actually be used to record things too. I mean, weird. oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so much you sense. Just, like reverse the polarity on them and stuff. You can record. Oh my things. god, that is so cool. You just blew my mind. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to this, basically our ears are speakers, and if you know about, uh, I, I mean, a good way to think about it is like, as as speakers play, you see them move back and forth, right? Or you can mm -hmm. feel them move. That's how our ears record stuff. Our ears are moving. Same with our microphones. Our microphones have this diaphragm moving, right? But they can only move once, right? Like once at a time, right? Um, but it's going to move so many times really quickly. Um, and that's going to hear the, uh, uh, the timbre. And it's a single timbre. So it's a single wave that your ear is recording. Why? Yeah. If you are hearing, say, thirty different pitches simultaneously, uh, yes, bass chord, like in a in the, or the uh, the uh, cluster chord in Blue Thunder. If you're hearing two hundred mm -hmm. different pitches and timbres simultaneously, um, mm -hmm. why can we hear all of them and distinguish? 
if we only have one diaphragm and only you're saying like do... you can you hear a trombone off to the right like with a certain timbre and someone off to the left with a different timbre is that what you're talking about yeah how do we hear the different timbres how are we able capable That's of distinguishing if we're hearing only one sound yeah. or yeah, two yeah. sounds i guess well i've always been fascinated by that yeah, that's that is really interesting to think about. Probably something to do with the brain, though, right? Not not the just what? the ears as well. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. the brain definitely has a lot yeah. to do with it. Oh, I I thought you said brand brand like the brand of I what? You said brand too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like what the brain? I, yeah, yeah. Because I saw you guys look at me. I'm like, did I really say something that stupid? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh my god, that was funny. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that same thing though. Like the brain, the way that the brain interprets must have something to do with it. Honestly, I'm fascinated by that. And honestly, you know what's funny? That um is a perfect way to think about why composers should be simple. The brain can only take so much. It can only take in so much timbre, it can only take in so much of something. And if you do everything all at once it's hard to process it's hard to hear and distinguish all of those things and if you simplify it down to uh, really basic structures really um the brain um will be able to process it um any brain will be able to process it a lot better um because like say when you're in blue thunder um i know not all of our listeners are but when you're playing that cluster chord um all 12 pitches of basically every octave that we are capable are being played the pitch class right mm -hmm. uh sure yeah you can you could yeah. use pitch class uh pitch class numbers stuff like that um all of them are being played simultaneously and honestly it just muffles together and you can't really tell the difference between each note right and i mean you could try to like pick out one note or the other um, but that's kind of the same reason why you shouldn't go so complicated with your music um, and try to do so much at once um, because it's just going to be sensory overload and you're not going to, they're not going to get it. This is why I don't like Schoenberg. Um, Sometimes I, I mean, like my sensories overloaded, not going to lie. I mean, I, when I, Blue I, Thunder, I have to dissent. I have to dissent. Complexity is sick. When Blue Thunder <laughs> plays the big space, uh, uh, I say space chord because of Bora, we did the same thing, but we called it space chord. Um, when we play the cluster chord and get louder and louder and louder, and then it's just like big, fat sound. It's so cool. Um, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, you, you don't want to do that 100% of the time. Well, yeah, but you couldn't yeah. have that coolness without the, the complexity of the, the cluster. Oh, you are right. You are 100% right. Um, so it, it's just a, it's just a, concept that you have to be thinking about right um i don't remember where i was going with that um yeah you got to be careful or a transforms what hmm? you hear me or a transforms is that where you were going i don't know that? what that is <laughs> a four-year i thought you said four a okay there's a lot of yeah four a four... so it's spelled four-year but it's pronounced four a i've been transform. pronouncing it wrong my whole life Excuse me. Well, that's how I've heard it. Oh, that's how they say it in. I was going to Schoenberg. Um, before oh, we get to Fourier analysis, um, I'm going to talk about Schoenberg really quickly. We, uh, uh, in my last lesson, Dr. Alexander, 
um, we talked about Schoenberg, and um, I showed him my trombone, alto trombone piece, um, and we talked a little bit about it, Adrian, uh, about vertical harmony versus ha uh, horizontal harmony, right? Yeah. Um, and Dr. A is like, you know, this is an interesting way to think about it. I mean, uh, Gustav Holst basically thought a similar way. Stravinsky thought a similar way. Um, but Schoenberg basically took that to the extreme. Um, and it having all 12 pitches in the first two measures is just too much. Um, and it makes it very difficult to listen to. And so this is why I don't like Schoenberg. I feel like he's a pretentious by going, oh, I mean, all total music has already been that. said. Yes. You got on Brian for saying Trump. You just dropped. Like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you serious? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just really funny to me. Uh, anyway. anyway, he, um, I feel like he's very pretentious. Um, because he uh, basically had the idea that all tonal music, or no, this is John Cage, uh, all tonal music has already been uh, written, so really there's no point to write that, so we're going to get into all the other crap and drop mushrooms on a steel plate and call it music. I mean, it huh. it's so stupid, um, in my opinion. Um, so, I don't know. This is uh, Those are two kind of mildly different concepts right there. Um, Here, they both really changed directions of music. They provide a new perspective. I respect them for that, but I hate their music. I and still think why. there's a place for it, though. There is a place, you know, like but I, I not don't like, as much as they did. <laughs> I don't like stories that like end ridiculously positive. I don't know. Like I feel like it's kind of predictable at this point. Like it's it's just. It's just kind of like that for me. So that that's kind of what atonalism is for me. It's just kind of like a, a cooler way to tell a story because it hasn't been done as much. That's really so. interesting. Like, I like that analogy because if, like, I get super bored of movies that just, like, you can predict the ending. Like, you know how this is going right? to end, kind of. Yeah. So it's it, like, sometimes I like to watch, like, a trash indie film that's, like, I have no clue what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just like kill the kill the main character out of nowhere. You're like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> they kill the main character in the first season, and then like eight seasons later, they trash the show. So I mean, <laughs> I feel like you're referencing something. Maybe, maybe I am. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you connect the dots on that one. But yeah, I was watching uh, Frozen two, like when it first came oh, out I haven't with watched my it family. Yet. Don't, and don't uh, oh, I'm no not okay. I can't spoil it, but. It, it's really predictable. It was really, and that, that like, I liked the movie. It was really good. Like, but it just kind of like, the ending, I was like, oh, that's, that's neat. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I mean, we, in, uh, in our film scoring class, we talked about, uh, not class, uh, podcast, we talked about, um, Marvel and, Disney, just kind of how they kind of screwed up the, um, um, I don't know. They, 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 they did a lot of things right, but they did also a lot of things wrong. They screwed up um, the kind of development of the musical ideas. Yeah. Of Star Wars. Um, no, no well, then, yeah. Well, yeah. Ish. <laughs> kinda. In the new one. Yes and no, question mark, ish. Um, John Williams did a great job with the new Star Wars. 
Um, yeah, the nice writers kind of feel like a, a greatest hits though, like for, yeah. for the music. I don't know. I just have very mixed feelings about nine. I felt like it was. A We're not going to go there. Grab. We already went but, there. Anyway, we love you, Arian. Uh, I just right. said Arian, Arian, not Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just it's like well, I actually, I'm French, so bad. <laughs> oh no worries. Um, it's it's fine. Um, so yeah, basically, um, you basically the concept is you don't you you predictability is important. Um, and unpredictability is also just as important. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah making i mean as oh god calvin talked about this with the markov chains um so brian were you at uh calvin's uh were, were you at the composition recital last year uh in the I'm second sure. semester so calvin premiered his piece i can't remember what it's called but it uses what is called a markov chain um <laughs> and how it works is basically he played a melody and basically it predicted um, using the given melody. Um, it basically said, given uh, that note, it can go to either of these three notes. Given how that melody was played, and those notes can go to these notes, and the, so on and so forth. And it composed itself. Dang. Using just probability. Cool. It was super fascinating. Cool. Um, and that's how your keyboards work uh, when you have predicted text. Um, that's how they use Markov chain. So okay. um, it's interesting. Anyway, we are off on a huge tangent. Um, let's get back to Fourier analysis. Um, what is it? How does it work? What are the practical applications? Why should or shouldn't musicians know about it? So a Fourier transform is like a pretty complex idea. And like, Mathematically, it's kind of hard to explain. Let me see if I can find a quick. You know, I wouldn't judge you if you just started uh, saying the formula, just like f of x equals blank logarithmic, blah blah blah, and you just started talking math at us, and just we'd lose so many viewers like that. (laughs) You you guys would lose viewers. You'd lose viewers. We're all having strokes today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Taylor, Adrian, and Brian all had strokes. It was crazy. Okay. So basically, here's like what a a Fourier transform is. Like when you have a wave, like we can just think of as a normal sine wave right now, just like a standing wave. You sample it a certain number of times. And so depending on the number of samples depends on like what you're actually able to record or not. But assuming that you have a lot more samples than like the size of your wave, you can record this and decompose it. Um, So like you can represent this in like different spaces, but like you can, you can represent it in this imaginary space, which like you can track it with two axes and like it's basically like a circular space kind of um like a polar and that's like this yeah okay i i think so yeah where there's like a there's a real term and an imaginary term and they're both dictated oh yeah yeah it's by an axis polar yeah and then the amplitude of the wave would be like the radius of that 
So, so when you say imaginary, um, relaying this back to mathematics, this is square root of negative one. This is I, um, what you're talking yeah. about, right? Okay. And it's really just, there's not anything real about it. Like, people get so hung up on it, and I, I used to, too, when I first, like, was, like, learning about this, and, like, maybe they didn't make it clear enough to me, but, like, the I has no, like, significance, really. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just there as, like, a placeholder to make it so you have things represented on two different ways. And, like, the math behind, like, why the I is there and, like, how it separates the stuff, like, really is not that important. I don't feel like... So, uh, like, you don't really need to get when, hung up. Back in uh, trigonometry, when we're learning about I and... uh people are like oh my god they're imaginary numbers now like why do we need to learn this crap basically you're saying we don't need to but like i don't know it's important to know about it i'm, I'm just saying yeah okay this is an application where it actually is used in when you're plotting things practical. on imaginary spaces it doesn't mean that the thing is imaginary it's just a way that you're it's just something you're harvesting to represent. It's a crappy like term, imaginary. Like, yeah, well, it's because it doesn't work out mathematically, but it's super useful because of that, and it can help you separate things, basically. They also um, use it in electrical systems as well, that that term, um, the imaginary uh, square root of negative one. Yeah. Um, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't understand electricity. I think it's maggage, but um, I know I said maggage. Um, but... It's an inside joke with my family. Nobody else would get it. Um, I don't know why I said it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I don't understand how it works, but I don't understand why it's there. It's interesting, though. So for those viewers who are like, why do we have to learn about square root of negative one? Why do we have to learn about imaginary numbers? Like, there are real applications for it. So that's basically my point. But anyway, Fourier analysis polar form imaginary yeah, and then it allows you to take a sum basically what what you do is you decompose so at first we're just talking about a standing wave so when that decomposes that's just going to show up as one single frequency so we're moving to from a time domain to a frequency domain and that's what this fast Fourier transform is doing so and when you, you say domain, you are talking about the x-axis. The x-axis goes from time to frequency, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. talking about the number of samples that we've collected over some amount of time to now the number of samples we've collected over some amount of frequency, which is, like, really hard to imagine that way. Maybe an, another way... So what way would a sine wave be, look like? What would a sine wave look like in frequency space? Mm -hmm. It would look like a spike right where that frequency is if it's if it's a if it's a standing wave it'll oh. be one single frequency so it'll just show up at zero everywhere and then one spike right is that basically what an equalizer is an eq yeah yeah because that showed the that's what a piano yeah. is yeah that's a piano no, holy not crap a, not a piano what do you mean, I mean when you press down harder on a piano, you're going to have a higher amplitude. Basically, you can map it on a piano is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I, I see. You could replace yeah. the domain with a piano. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess so. But so you're, you guys are discreet, discretizing it. Um, I'm sorry. And like, that's okay. Like, that's totally fine. I'm trying to apply it to music. Yeah, no, totally. And like, there's, 
So there's such thing as a discrete Fourier transform, a DFT, and then a fast Fourier transform, an FFT. And so like depending on your scenarios, you're going to use one or the other. Um, for the most part, you're using FFT. What's the difference? Is one just like more hush-hush? Uh, an FFT is used for like a continuous um, I am so glad nobody basically. reacted to that. I didn't even hear what you said. I, I like... said hush-hush because it's discrete. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, not like that. Adrian's like... <laughs> Adrian is just non-verbally telling me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really good at those, those kind of cues. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I make those terrible jokes. Every but time yeah, you said that's... decompose, I'm like, dude, we're composers. Don't talk about us dying. Huh. Anyway. But yeah, like like the EQ is the fast Fourier transform of the waves that you're producing is what it's showing you. But so if you imagine you had a sine wave and then another sine wave with a different frequency mm -hmm. plotted on the same graph, and then you add them together. So their amplitudes add. And like mm -hmm. basically every spot where they're over the same point, it either gets greater or if they're once positive, once negative. It would That's get creating lesser. a different timbre, right? Yeah, so that'd be the combination of these two single frequencies. And we're not even talking about any harmonic things at all. Like this is two very pure tones. So this is like a drone on an A and a drone on a B. Like they're going to combine and that's going to produce its own like wave that you, you hear. And this wave... It wouldn't be like super symmetrical, but it would definitely be somewhat symmetrical. Like there'd be a middle point where it looks like you could like flip it and like reflect it over and it would be exactly the same. Um, so there's like some symmetry there with these two waves. But if we did a fast Fourier transform of those two waves, we could essentially deconstruct it and pull out uh, one sine wave. That's the frequency of the other and the other sine wave. Um, and basically what you do in a fast Fourier transform is you go over, depending on your number of samples or your window like that you allow with the number of samples in there, dictates the amount of frequencies that you're allowed to pull out. So if you're sampling at like 1,000 samples per second, you can only pull out a frequency of up to 50 samples per second. That's your Wait. max frequency. Hold up. So now we're talking about samples per sec. This is, um, if any of you have a DAW or any of you have some sort of um, program and I, I get this error message all the time because I haven't changed the sample rate yet. That's what he's talking about, the sample rate, right? Yeah. Um, right now, my uh, my audio box can only handle uh, 44,100 sample rates per second. I mean, samples yeah. per second, which is the sample yeah, rate. And so so Why? That's, that's plenty for a human because the max amount of the maximum frequency that humans can hear is right about 20 hertz or 20,000 hertz, 20 kilohertz. And so with that 44,000, that Double. enables the microphone to record up to 22,000-ish hertz. So a Why have? amount above. Because well, wait, is it because the sine waves uh, has to go up and then down? Yeah, if you have, okay. if you have this many points, that's the lowest sine wave that you can make on the the thing and if you had so once you get to that half amount of samples like that half frequency is the amount because if you go one over so you can so basically 
if you record with that many samples, 40,000, you could represent it in a frequency plane from zero to 40,000 hertz if you wanted to, and it would just look like an extension of what you have in the one to 20 hertz. It, it literally just mirrors onto the other side and it's called aliasing. So it's like, um, it's like the thing that'll happen when you're seeing a car and you see the wheel start traveling forward and then all of a sudden it slows down and it starts going backwards. It's oh because my the God. sample rate of our eye is now aliasing the speed that that thing is traveling because it's going faster than like the sample rate allows us to sample it, you know? That's so cool. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I've always wondered why that was. Yeah, and, that, and, and the same thing happens with sound, and that's why we can't record things. Um, I honestly thought than... it was just me. Like, I was crazy. Like, this can't be real. Nope. Something's wrong with me. Yeah, oh, there's, there's really good videos. so but... cool. Yeah, there's a video of some dude, like, doing it with a bike. Like, here's my sample rate, and I can spin the bike at exactly this speed before it, you'll start to Is see it the slow-mo, guys? Like, no. I might be. I'm not sure. I saw it in a class once. Oh, but they're good with probably that. multiple... Not... There's probably multiple videos out there, resources to like see this phenomenon. And mm -hmm. like our eyes have their own sample rate that can get alias. So that's the that's the basis of that. But you basically take all those available frequency waves based on your sample size and you um, pull out the frequency over the total amount of space or a fraction of the space, whatnot. Um, and that's what produces those graphs. Mm -hmm. So, like with the volcanoes we record, um, because there's a lot of stuff out there, and because of the fact that lower waves travel uh, farther and just, like, have greater amplitudes in nature, there's just a ton ton of low waves, like the, the tides of the earth, the waves crashing, um, produce, like, super, super low waves. Uh, it's called the microbarum that we record. Um, trying to remember where it is it's about like 0.4 hertz or something like that it's this resonance of the or of the waves crashing against the earth and then there's even like slower waves that the earth will produce um, sound waves and they, some of them are called gravity waves there's just like it's really crazy Sorry, so does I that go into answer. no no you're that's fine super, I mean, that's super cool yeah i find this all fascinating is this related so you were talking about gravity waves yeah um which honestly from what i understand i could be wrong um this goes into theoretical physics um and okay einstein's yeah, yeah. theory of relativity i know exactly what you're gonna say and it's not that it's not it's not so, that no okay so this so i think this is a geoscience term when they call it a gravity wave it's not the same as the physics these are essentially like buoyancy waves think of it as like when something is less dense than something else and it travels like that's that's how these waves travel and because so think about it there's like a pocket of less denseness underneath the pocket of denseness so it like travels up and like that dense wave like travels at a super super like slow velocity and like very large period that's what mm -hmm. these are they're like buoyancy waves of pressure in the air um just incredibly low like mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if i i'm trying to help visualize them because they're super hard to visual but 
like a way I like to think about this stuff, and I talk with my students about this, is to go to a lake, um, and or or a river or anything, honestly, any body of fluid, um, and watch the direction that the water is going. Mm-hmm. But you're gonna notice that some of the water is both traveling a certain direction, but also another direction simultaneously, but not diagonally. And it's not the water that is actually moving that way, it's the density of the water that is moving. Um, and it's it's one part that is less dense, the denser part, and the denser part is trying to release the energy and moves into the uh, less dense part. Is that correct? Um... Or am I backwards? I could well, be like, totally I guess, backwards. Well, you basically make a disturbance of density when you like drop the, or whatever causes the wave. Like drop a pebble. Yeah, that causes. I mean, like, I don't know if it, and ultimately it creates more density, more pressure at the very front of it, and then mm-hmm. probably as that pressure pushes out, it makes less pressure. So now there's this propagating wave compressional wave it's an oscillator basically it's like a mass on a spring you just like pushed it in and gave it potential energy and now it's like oscillating with kinetic energy yeah because the pebble displaced the water and moved the water out which then the pebble sinks then the water has to move back in it crashes against itself moves back out crashes against itself and so that creates those different uh circles and Mm -hmm. but the thing is the water isn't actually moving on those circles, right? Yeah. There, if the, the water that was there before is still there, maybe it moves a little bit, but it really moves back. Yeah, it, it, it oscillates how like a mass the, on a spring. Yeah, in any spot. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but the water just gets more dense and then less dense, or the density mm-hmm. moves but dissipates because it gets larger as it goes out. So yeah. how does this apply to sound? And sound waves. Like those waves you can imagine as the wave front of a sound wave. That's what I like to imagine them as. Mm-hmm. Like they're because you're basically looking at this in like two dimensions now instead of the three dimensional case where like it would be a sphere coming out and you would see those waves like moving in and out like in throughout all of the water, which would be like super cool to see. Um but in the two-dimensional space, you can't see the changes of density within it because it's only two dimensions. So I, I like to only think about those as wave fronts mm-hmm. where, like, there's just a bunch of arrows pointing out from that center point that are causing these this, like, propagating wave through the entire circular area. So say, uh, so say you drop a marble, perfectly sp- spherical, would that be could that be represented as a sine wave if in a perfectly still water it would be represented as a sine wave yeah you could definitely represent it as a sine wave uh, there's what about- multiple things that you could measure so you could measure one what you would do and like so there's two strategies you could take you could take like a lagrangian strategy or an eulerian strategy which is like your frame of reference essentially um okay but like i think like a good way to to say like you'd make your frame of reference one single particle of water and you can measure like how that velocity is changing over time or you can measure the distance over time right so as this propagating wave travels through it'll like travel what's the derivative yeah 
slow down and move back the other way. And so, like, you mm-hmm. could probably both of those. In fact, I know for, without a doubt that if you measured the displacement, the velocity, or the acceleration, they would all show up as oscillating, like sine like or cosine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a one's a derivative that dictates like an oscillator. Um, did I just lag or freeze? Yeah, but I know what you were saying. I mean, because distance to velocity to acceleration, they're all derivatives of yeah. each other. And yeah, exactly. And the first function for an oscillator is a sine function. So mm-hmm. the derivative of that must it starts be at zero. Also, mm-hmm. a trigonometric function, a periodic function, essentially. Mm-hmm. Once a periodic function, always a periodic function. Basically, I think we'll get well, not basically infinitely always. Well, unless you have um, air resistance and friction, then it slowly goes to zero. But so then technically it's not a sine wave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not a pure. Well, it's just a dampened periodic wave. Oh, so yeah, that's true. I'm wrong. I mean, I guess you could have two. You could have two periodic waves that are perfectly destructive, and that would turn it into a solid straight line without any disturbance you could so, also argue that that is a periodic wave so that's a sine that's, wave with zero amplitude that's how noise canceling headphones work right mm-hmm. yeah they just take the sound wave and they invert it add it together and mm-hmm. that cancels the sound wave yeah how do you do that with just like a material like, what, what do you mean you, isn't it digital it's digitally done is it yeah yeah pro- oh okay then never mind. That makes sense. Well, like it has to be an analogous. Oh, oh, you're saying like what it produces, what it plays out of here. Okay. No, how does it? How does it flip the frequency? It's digital. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it does that digitally. But then oh, okay. it, it never plays mind. it out of here as an analog, like mm-hmm. for your ears. Mm-hmm. Okay. But how does it have so little delay so that it actually sounds like it's canceling noise well well like you're forgetting the fact that like it knows the music that it's gonna play already like beforehand like mm-hmm. oh so it's canceling like, right, for everyone else no it cancels it cancels outside sounds from coming in right but yeah. that's a live like, feed if you turn on the noise canceling oh wait i guess that's a good point actually is it recording live is that what it's doing shouldn't it I mean, it wouldn't be recording, but it would be taking the wave, digitally flipping it, what it, and does, then playing it back. Yeah, yeah. It must take like the the background noise, like the standard background noise, and but just like. How does it take? How does it take that sound? Oh wait, no, that's the that's the point that you're saying. It takes the sound, um, and basically displaces it by a period i mean half of a period yeah half. that's how it do it and that would incorporate the delay or maybe multiple periods um and a half um just so that it has the delay and that's why you can hear people talking while they have noise canceling headphones maybe a little yeah, bit because it can't but, pick that up like or this. it can but it doesn't yeah it doesn't pick it up fast enough so it it's Strong playing enough. it yeah it's yeah, it's just playing back it through your ears. Uh, yeah, well, I just looked it up. This is the Guardian. Um, uh, AN, active noise cancellation ANC works by using microphones to pick up low frequency noise and neutralize it before it reaches the ear. The headset generates a sound um, that's phase inverted by 180 degrees to the unwanted uh-huh. noise. 
resulting in the that's two it. canceling each other that's out. That's the same thing. So as it's not by upsetting it. Yeah, it does the same thing. The same. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's so and, cool. But, so I think that's <laughs> the important. <laughs> the important part there is that it's mostly low frequency waves that it um, yeah cancels. Um, because they're uh, at higher frequencies, the period is so small. Like, it's it's smaller, and so it's hard to because period is time it's hard to get it in the period of time for you to be able to cancel it due to yeah. the delay due to all of the uh, other factors and it can't predict the ambient yeah. sound it kind of can because it's yeah the ambient, it's half period amount of time yep yeah okay that's so cool that's pretty dope not gonna lie <laughs> that's, that's, pretty, that's, that's really cool Stuff. So I have a question. So you drop a spherical marble into the water. It creates, you can analyze it as a sine wave or a cosine wave or a negative sine wave or a negative cosine wave based on acceleration. I mean, based on the derivatives, right? Um, and we all, uh, if you've taken calculus, you memorize the, uh, the order and I've forgotten it, but whatever. Anyway, what if you take uh, an... A, a, a rock that is not a sphere um, and you drop it in, is that similar or could that be represented similarly as the wave shape or a timbre? Because each of those uh, points, if you take each of those points, those are going to be sine waves. Yeah. Um, yeah. But them all added together, it's moving. They're moving at the same speed. Well, no, they're not. They're moving at different, I speeds, think, different though, amplitudes. It doesn't even really matter like the size of it because the rock falls in and it makes like maybe an ununiform like initial displacement of the water, but it sinks down and the water all like comes and splashes in together and like But it doesn't hit simultaneously. As if it were a No, marble. yeah, that's true. Like just like an imperfect marble. Like I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't make that analogy though. Like, I feel like that analogy could be made for maybe, like, how sound travels through a, like, auditorium or something, like... Okay, explain. Like, you drop a a rock a certain way, like, it hits one part first and, like, makes an initial wave that comes out, and that could be potentially, like, the front of the, the stage or the area where, like, the sound travels the best and the rest of it kind of, like, lags behind and will wrap back around the area behind the wave and it'll make a weird like phase change maybe it's not the best analogy for that either okay I so it's a bad analogy thought of i don't, one? Know. I don't know like i i uh tell me What's if up? this is like terrible but like a stadium terrible. full of people you know like every people you get yeah. them all to do the wave those people don't like yeah. you don't have like the same people doing the wave you have different people doing the same wave just you know together yeah, that's that's a good like analogy. representing it. Yeah, that that's basically yeah. taking the rock 
and representing it vertically, linearly. And I yeah. feel like it's just easier for me to wrap my head around when I think of it that way. That's because you know close. the 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 people aren't changed. Like the people's not what's moving. Well, I mean, well, you don't get the same people, you know, moving throughout the duration of the wave. You get different people like doing the same wave. Yeah, that's hmm. a good way to visualize like the wave traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with the rock example, like if the rocks are regular and you drop it in, I just don't feel like that's analogous to like a harmonic or like or like multiple well, frequencies. If you if you take it on a macroscopic level, like take a rock, multiply it by uh, multiply the surface area by volume by a, a factor of like six million, and drop it in the ocean. Yeah. Um, the ocean is gonna like fill in faster in some places than the other, um, and mm-hmm. so that's a good way to like think of it as an extreme. Um, and so that's yeah. kind of what I was relating. Yeah. So to me, that's those... just that's just like the propagation of the wave through the medium. So it's like after okay, like the source was already irregular, but then it's gonna propagate, and like the part where the waves are pointing in one direction is gonna make those waves already faster and like vice versa but also like so then the wave's gonna morph and it's gonna hit the island and reflect back out in like different places so that's pretty analogous to like how it will travel within uh like an arena or something Mm -hmm. um but i think something along the lines of what you're saying like something that would be like analogous to like a band making noise would be like dropping a bunch of rocks with a bunch of different masses into Uh... the water and all these waves are going to now propagate out and combine. So that now there's going to be a, maybe a point. Um, and this this is really interesting because this happens with earthquakes too. Like these waves all like make echoes and reflections, but there's like points where they all line up super well and you could have a super high amplitude or like a very like tall wave in the ocean. And this can happen with earthquakes too. And we had that earthquake in Boise, like some houses didn't feel it at all and some feel it a lot because... Oh, I was sitting the, right here. God, I, I where I was like on a boat. No, I was. Yeah, I was sitting right here, and I thought I was on a boat. So yeah. I was like, wait a minute, I'm in my room. What the hell? <laughs> I was driving, so I didn't feel it. Oh, my mom was too. She just ended up in the other lane, and she was driving yeah. on a highway. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Most of Boise is in a pretty um good spot to like feel it, just because of where. And this is a much bigger system, but these huge pressure waves that are traveling through the ground, they're like traveling through the ground and bending as they're going through and like coming up and stuff so what is that oh ryan is listening to uh uh something <laughs> anyway um yeah it popped up on here we couldn't hear it but it popped up on here interesting um yeah he's so bored by this he had to listen to some sort of music um <laughs> I'm kidding, Ryan. We love you. So anyway, uh, that's interesting. So I, I have a, I have a question. Um, uh, give me a minute to figure out how to ask it. How do you design an auditorium? How? No. Yes. How do you design an auditorium to fit ensembles, to fit stage, to fit all of these things, to accommodate? You want to have the whole audience, including the mezzanine, especially the mezzanine, because evidently the mezzanine is the best place to be, front and center of the mezzanine, um, in the Morrison Center, at least. Um, 
how do you make a, a an auditorium such that it's going to sound just as clear or i don't know how to phrase it properly um yeah and or um doing just the opposite um because we have to i I, we have to do that in all campus band um i have to set up the band in such a way or else people aren't going to be able to hear it or people are going to hear too much of one person because this uh stage in the uh the spec center spec um is not yeah meant for acoustics right so how do you um build an auditorium or how do you accommodate yeah so like nowadays but not we're in like a the age of like technology and whatnot and so like ideally if you're going to try to build something like this you would use a model first a wave propagation model where you've imported um like the design of this and you set a sensor on every single seat in the house because the goal is to have a balanced sound no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then putting sources. You model all this stuff and you put sources where like the band would be uh, seated or what, whatever. And this is all like a synthetic model like using computations. Um, and you record it in all these seats and you look at all the waveforms and you see how they differ. And if there's any spots that aren't like getting the best quality of sound, and then you adjust your design, do it again. Um, mm-hmm. And like, ideally that's how like they would make the like really big, really successful like places. Um, and like, it's doable, but like, obviously like you can't do that very simply and like, whatnot so like in terms of like the spec like trying to set stuff up and like trying to figure out where where to go like what you can do is just like make noises and record or like listen to how they sound um around you and like next to you like testing equipment putting equipment up and also just having someone sit in the audience in different spots and making sounds Mm -hmm. on the the stadium and stuff or the stage um so um how do they get so there are a bunch of different frequencies being played simultaneously right from a from a stage from anything right Uh all of those frequencies i mean they're going to bounce just as any other uh anything would i mean angle of uh inflection is going to be angle of deflection i mean reflection right um mm-hmm. you throw something at the wall it's going to bounce at the same angle the opposite direction right yeah um so all of the frequencies are going to hit the same way i mean bounce the same way but some are going to be absorbed in the material some are going to be like how do you um build the auditorium to make every frequency get to every spot well Um, what do you yeah god that's a hard question to ask (laughs) yeah no i mean like i'm just gonna go back (laughs) to the modeling because like what you would do is like what you don't want is someone to be sitting in a spot where like the back of the hall is you can't hear me no no you don't want them sitting in a spot where they can't hear anything oh oh, oh, okay from the front even like the back of the hall is amplified for them so they hear like um, way more of what's going on in the back. So 
So those are like the kind of corrections that you need to address. And so like what you would really do, like you could put a dampener towards the top where that back of the hall is reflecting off, or you could put a reflector like somewhere towards the front to try to add more of the front of the hall into it. Um, and like most of the time when we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's more about like balance of sound amplitude based on position and not like balance of like frequency. Like the okay. frequencies are all going to travel the speed of sound and that's just dependent on the temperature. Um, mostly it's just dependent on temperature. There's not going to be really wind in there or anything. So every single frequency is going to travel with the same amount of sound. And it's all, like you said, it's going to reflect off of things and we can just like neglect um, like diffraction or refractions because it's traveling over such a short amount of space um, and like a regular space too that like there's not going to be any waves bending or anything they're all just going to be going and refract uh, just reflecting so for the most part you just want like you just want a design that has like relatively curved areas that address like places where you want the sound to reach so that everything is just a balanced sound in terms of space. And you say curved because you want uh, all the frequencies that, fre frequencies that hit that to reflect in all directions. Yeah. Right. And yeah, and it's variable depending on like where you are. Like you, mostly you want to curve because okay. the very center of the hall is going to get a lot of the sound right from the hall, and they don't need like the supporting reflections or anything like that to help like support the sound. So you don't really, you want it curved in a way so that it ref reflects and goes out towards the back or like towards like the weird spots that don't get the direct arrivals and whatnot. Um, okay. So as yeah. a musician, how do we, uh, why do we need to know about this? Why, what, what do we need to do? I mean, this is, um, Dr. G talked about sound engineering and then the musicality yeah. aspect of sound engineering, right? Yeah. Um, well, and like how how it's based on world. your ear. Yeah it's, yeah, it's all based on your ear. You can't, you can't, if, if a sound engineer um, had everything their way, um, like it would be so mathematically oriented and stuff. But as a musician, it just doesn't work that way. And so you have to yeah. basically combat, and it's all about like, Whoop, voice crack. Hey, I went up yeah. a harmonic. Um, okay. um, yeah, it's not a voice crack. It's a partial. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all, all these things you're saying, they're like, they're not controls. They're just free yeah. variables. So it makes it so you can't model these things. And it makes it so it's something you have to adjust for every time. And, it, and um, it's all based on experience. Like, you, there's no other way to understand it other than going yeah. to halls, being, in, uh, being exposed to well, just I would argue that the only other way to know it besides experiencing it is modeling it. It gives you a certain level of understanding. Okay, yeah. So like one one of the things that I want to do is take something called a DEM, it's called the digital elevation model of Albertson Stadium. And I've been working with the wave propagation model where I've uploaded a DEM of this specific volcano in Viarica. And I've been I've uploaded this DEM, so there's basically a map of this volcano, and I can put a source somewhere and different receivers, and like I can create a function for this source and then record like the resulting waves from these locations. So I want to do something similar like that with Albertson Stadium, mm -hmm. and like find the places on this on the grass 
where wave the waves propagate like the best, I guess, where the geometry of the stadium supports the waves propagation. Okay, so um, then you can give that to Joe, and then he could write the drill around that. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. here's spots where like waves propagate super well in the stadium. So like, that's what like, you were talking spots. about originally in this podcast. Well, no, that was kind of a different thing that I was. I'm wrong about. again. It's okay. This this is like the modeling aspect, but I don't know if I can get to this because I don't know if DEMs of Albertson Stadium exist to like the order of resolution that I need them to be. Hmm. It's interesting. But I was plan. I was gonna try to mess around with it, and then maybe if I got a result, show it and see what people thought. I haven't nice. been able to find the resource for that. That's just cool. I mean, everything <laughs> yeah. we've talked about today is just honestly fascinating to me, and yeah. I understand about a quarter of it. Um, and I mean, I I've learned a lot. Um, I knew about Fourier analysis. I knew kind of what it did, but I didn't know how it worked. Right. Um, yeah. And we talked a little bit about uh, Brian um, earlier. You, uh, I asked you a question because um, I recently watched this uh, video on the uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, uncertainty principle, and it only applies to light. Um, or well, it only applies in a um, non-classical. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in a place that doesn't have a medium, um, or doesn't need a medium to exist, right? And a medium is like uh, air is a medium for sound to travel. There is no medium for light to travel because there's nothing between the stars and us, and we can see the stars. So that's basically what it was. And I was asking, like, does the uncertainty uncertainty principle apply to sound? And we had this really cool conversation, um, and it was honestly fascinating. Um, the stuff you talked about, stuff we learned, I, I learned, um, and I could read off the paragraphs, but I'm not going to. Um, but I mean, the uh, the uncertainty principle does not happen in uh, in sound because um, it travels through a medium. You can know the velocity, you can know the energy, you can know the position. It's possible to do that because it's displacement and oscillation, whereas light, it's traveling. And there's no displacement. There's no oscillation. There's nothing. You stop it in motion. You can see the particle, but you don't know the velocity. <laughs> just yeah, it's out of there. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you stop it, it's just whoop, gone. It's because weird. it has no mass. It's strictly dictated yeah. by its momentum and its position. If you knew the momentum, but the thing is, momentum is based every on single particle. the mass. Yeah. Well, force equals mass times acceleration, force times time, that's the force thing. times delta time. In a classical sense, that's what it is. But in a relativistic sense, time and mass are like incredibly tied together, including gravity. Like gravity, mass, and time are like very, they have very, very strange connected relationships. According to like, uh, Einstein, yeah. Yeah, and like that's how. And there's proof there is momentum that comes from light waves, something called the solar wind. 
Yeah, they can I've heard fly. of it. I don't they know how can, it works. They can like use it as a force. They can put these big wind, um, or solar wind like panels out, and they basically catch solar radiation, which is essentially just like these light uh, particles, and it, use the momentum yeah, to supply a force to like get the spacecraft moving faster and faster. That's um, so, so like it, it's proven that there's momentum behind these things, and the only possible and way that that's it can, how. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's how radiometers work, right? They have one side that's black that that doesn't absorb anything. I mean, that does absorb ev as much as possible, and the other not radiometers, a spectrometer. No, there's some sort of ometer, meter, um, measure thing. Thermometer. No, um, that, that measures, measures radiation. Yeah. Or... Yeah, and um, basically how it works is the radiation hits it. And it moves and it spins, hmm. and it powers a, a not powers yeah it supplies a force which implies they have momentum, yeah. and um that spins an encoder a uh, a uh, not a it spins an increment not an incremental encoder um I forget what it is but um and it, it spins an encoder which basically counts how many times it rotates and they do that by a second divided by a second times hertz basically and it um that's the uh i mean that's a hertz that's the frequency of the uh the wave um and you know it works on light it works on radiation it works on microwaves you know why because they're all the same frequency i mean not frequency they're all the same spectrum yeah. so when people talk about 5g <laughs> no that gives you coronavirus it's the let me go get my shungite rocks outside to help prevent. Gotta get the full oh surround spread. Aluminum foil yeah, hat, like God. Yeah. Radio waves are essentially light waves, but just slower. Like, yeah, just super yeah. slow. Hella slower. <laughs> um, and microwaves are light waves. Just really fast. Are light waves. Yep. That's cool. Crazy. I just—it's so cool. I mean. Our eyes only pick up um, a certain range of the electromagnetic spectrum, right? But if they were capable, they could see everything from radiation through Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. No, that's, uh, yeah, wi through Wi-Fi, because Wi-Fi is on high, very high frequency? Or is it very low frequency? I forget. I'm not sure, honestly. It's higher than But it's radio. the same spectrum. It's is definitely it higher, higher than, than radio. Yeah. <laughs> Is it higher than uh, the visual spectrum? I don't know. I just said it was higher than radio because radio is at the bottom, so I knew I'd be right. <laughs> I'm going to assume no because usually the higher – yeah, radio is at the bottom. Yeah. Usually the higher waves are more energetic and therefore more dangerous. So I would so, assume that Wi-Fi wi wouldn't be like flying around us if it was a higher energy wave. That's where radiation is. Closer. Radiation is faster than everything else. Yeah, it's essentially like it's like energy that was released from certain things that like it's such a high and small it's such a small particle with like a high vibration that it can like literally affect the DNA in our cells. It's so oh, small so and so works. fast of a frequency that it it's a frequency that approaches that of like the cell and so it can just like cause immediate damage or like mutation to the cell like through like just bumping and interacting at a, so that's at a how particle level. cancer works 
yeah. it's a it's a cell that goes ha i'm not going to be a human cell basically well like sometimes it's yeah sometimes it's the radiation that causes like a Co- disruption yeah. of the dna but all, all, other times it's just like a i mean i i think they they think this is just like a mutation in like the copying of the dna so i think it can mm-hmm. happen like like that genetically or like as a result of something else so and this is almost um i mean it's analogous to um say breaking glass right um so if you have if you measure the frequency of glass and you can change the frequency of glass by placing masses on different spots right um and if if you have the exact frequency you can break the glass um and i it's it's interesting how um the higher mag- uh, you go on the magnetic spectrum, it's basically the same thing, but with cells. It's not breaking it, but it's manipulating it. It's moving it. Yeah. Is that analogous? So like with the, or am I yeah, totally wrong? No, I think you're kind of right. It's just... Hey, I got something right. Like, things have to be <laughs> of the same, same order. So, like, a yeah. mountain. A mountain can disrupt, like, a super low frequency. A mountain that has a width of 300 meters can disrupt a wave that travels at 300 meters per wave, which would be a one hertz signal. Per one stand? Yeah, so one One oscillation travels 300 meters. That's a one hertz signal. That's a given? Normal standard. Well, because the speed of sound is three. Okay, so I grabbed it. Oh, I gotcha. Now I got it. Because yeah. it's 667 yeah. miles per hour. I mean, meters, no. Three, uh, 330. 330. Sorry, I got Yeah. So if its wavelength is 300 meters, then it has a period of one second, which is one hertz. So, um, that's sick. That's, but like the only thing I didn't like, relate that a door a door in the way like a thin door doesn't really affect that size of a wave whereas a mountain will like it's the same thing with this like like um, unless the wave was really low because then the wave would pass through uh the mountain yeah yeah. okay yeah well it would have to be much much bigger so like a buoyancy wave would not possibly would probably not get disrupted by a mountain um Mm -hmm. but like things that are of order of the mountain get disrupted by it Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how you then, disrupt radiation. Um, you have certain materials that have to be a certain thickness or more. Well, um, yeah, and that's a little different too because the radiation is caused from like specific things like letting off energy or something. And then there's specific materials. So this is like more material science where there's like letting off energy. Material. Yeah, so like energy is a property radi- of matter. So it'd be letting off matter. Well, like. Basically, it's like a photon or an electron or something that's orbiting around a thing. That oh, yeah, they're just going to back to that. So it releases and the energy comes out. Um, but like the lead would be a thick enough like material to absorb that. But it's not necessarily the same as what we were talking about before. I'm wrong again. <laughs> See, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not qualified yes, to interview yeah. you. I mean, I'm learning fair. so much right now. <laughs> to be fair, uh, <laughs> I know, like, I knew, like, almost nothing coming into here and into this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I basically only knew the harmonic series and how sound 
yeah, mechanically I know, I works. The, I knew the harmonic series and like how it worked as relating to brass instruments, but um, that's yeah, pretty cool. Also, yeah, also, I've learned uh, so much, and this is a long podcast. We're at like we didn't even talk about tuning. <laughs> oh my god! Are <laughs> right, you want to do tuning and then call it? Let's yeah, talk yeah, about um, what is it called? Um, Standard. Uh, no, no, uh, just temperament. Let's talk about temperament. Equal temperament. Let's just talk about temperament. Okay. Define, um, define temperament. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna start us off on this. Um, so I made a uh, I I took a I was in New Jersey uh, a few years ago, um, and I uh, was there for a composition camp, right? And uh, there there was I was I wanted to do something cool and apply math to music, and I knew that. Um, the the relationship between a perfect of a perfect fifth right with da ta no da ta oh, that was a sick da ta yeah perfect fifth mm-hmm. um I'm wrong right. I feel like I'm You're wrong right. no that's it's right I'm right da, da, da. yeah I'm right okay God I hate that yeah okay I'm right God. <laughs> Huh, I'm second guessing myself right now because I've been wrong so many times in this podcast. No, um, <laughs> so anyway, um, that's actually called a hemiola because it's three over two. You can have a hemiola both in rhythm, both both in rhythm and in uh, pitch because the hemiola is just uh, the relationship of it's it's just a ratio. That's it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when people say. Uh, hemiola, they're referring to just three and three over two. And so it actually mildly bothers me when people just say hemiola instead of rhythmic hemiola, but whatever. That's just my pretentious side coming out. No, um, yeah. <laughs> um so anyway, I decided to take that fifth and go around the circle of fifths. Take the take the frequency, say A440, just go around the circle of fifths. And multiplied it by three over two, three over two, three over two, and I had to divide it by four sometimes because I kept going up octaves and I wanted to come back to a four forty, and I ended up coming up about um, a little bit sharp of a four forty when I got back to a, and I was like, "What? This is crazy!" But I realized uh, I researched recently that this is actually what Pythagoras did, um, and. I, oh God! What was it called? He did a Pytha- Pythagorean root, Pythagorean something. I'm gonna interrupt really quickly. It's called Pythagorean comma. Um, you should look it up. It's really cool. Is that distance between a440 and when you go around the circle of fifths, that a divided by two, um, and it's about uh, 1.2 cents. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but the the point is. Um, oh. so what a Pythagorean I, tuning. It's a system of musical tuning in which the frequency ratio. No, is no, but there's a there's a relationship. There's a frequency ratio. There's an interval there that I'm talking about. Um, it's on Wikipedia. I found it, so it has to be true. So yeah, <laughs> um, basically nothing can be perfect. Everything is always going to be out of tune unless you're going to be constantly going sharp or constantly going flat or going back and forth. Um, it depends on what's going on. So this is why temperament is so crazy. 
Um, what I was just doing was called just temperament, having the same relationship all the time um, and try to keep things as in tune as itself. But the thing is, as you keep going, you're going to get more and more out of tune. And this is why intonation is so difficult because a piano is in equal temperament, meaning the perfect fifth is going to be two cents off. It's going to be slightly off, okay, um, to accommodate for that, right? And it's going to be one twelfth of that Pythagorean whatever. Um, and it's it's crazy um, how it all works. So nothing can ever be in tune. And what's even funnier is that when you go up the harmonic series, you start on the first uh, harmonic, which is, say, we're starting on C, then you go to the next C, and then G, C, E, G, B flat. That B flat, the flat seven, or the one, two, three, four, five, six overtone, six, uh, seventh harmonic, is going to be slightly flat than an equal temperament. Everything else is going to be perfectly in tune, but that note is going to be slightly flat than equal temperament. And um, well, it's not going to be perfectly in tune. Yeah, I'm talking a lot. Why didn't they just increase the interval between notes by a certain amount of hertz so that everything did line up perfectly? Because of the harmonic series. And that's where I'm coming from. So how come the... Oh, yeah, you you following? Adrian's not, but I'm gonna draw it and then I'm gonna explain what? it because it's gonna be yeah. Uh, Adrian's not following yet, um, because but you are. So you have a standing wave, yeah, and then you have two waves. Okay, that's an octave. Those are gonna be yeah. that's gonna be a perfect octave. That's gonna sound great. Okay. Yeah. But if you have two over and three, this is a perfect fifth. That. Um, so you have you have three standing waves or three three waves and two waves. That's going to sound consonant. It's going to sound beautiful. It's going to sound the most in tune, and that's where you want to be. Um, but the piano is actually going to have a slight discrepancy towards the end of the period, and it's going to be slightly out of tune because of what I was just talking about. Because of going around the circle of fifths, you're not going to land exactly there, and so it's going to be slightly out of tune. So you could yeah, so- they did. They did adjust it. They okay. did adjust the um, the frequency. I mean, not the frequency, the interval to uh, make it uh, fit. And that's how just temperament. I mean, equal temperament works. But okay. equal temperament is not in tune. Equal yeah. temperament is the slight discrepancy. Yeah. Okay. And just okay. temperament sounds the most in tune. Mm. Um, and so. If you've ever been in an ensemble, well, if you have been playing in an ensemble and you notice like you're dead in tune on a note and you can hear it like I am dead in tune and then the harmony shifts and then you're still playing the same note. Notice how I'm holding a trombone incorrectly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're playing the same note the exact same way. Um, yeah, fight me. Yeah, no, um, you're playing the, you're playing in the same position, same exact same way. Um, and the harmony shifts. But now you're out of tune, but you're playing the exact same note, the exact same frequency, and you're now out of tune. This is why. Because the harmony shifts, the harmonic structures shift, the um, harmonic series moves to a different root and has a bunch of different roots, and your tone is going to sound slightly different in, uh, well, not different. It's going to sound the same, but it's not going to fit in equal temperament. 
Yeah, Jacob Collier has some great master classes on that. Yeah, it's so yeah. crazy. Um, it's That's complicated. It's hard to understand. Tuning is so difficult. And you know, um, especially with instruments, um, you can do. I mean, choirs do it naturally because that's their ear. They can sing and tune all day long, but they're going to naturally drift sharp or flat or someplace, depending on the piece. Depending, uh, actually, depending on the key. If you're in a not baroque tuning, um, but some tuning that uh, as you get more, yeah, baroque tuning as you get more sharps, then you get more out of tune. Um, and that's why they uh, most keys were in the key of C or key of G, so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, they uh, th that's why choirs will drift sharp. Um, they someone might sing sharp and then they'll adjust. Um, but it's also if they're perfectly in tune, they are going to drift. You can't stay perfectly in tune and have it sound perfect. But if you're playing an instrument, say saxophone. Actually, no, say trombone. That's actually a better way to think about it. Um, and you move the slide position all the way out. I mean, not the slide position. You move the tuning slide all the way out. Um, you're now playing like a third lower or whatever, however much lower. It's going to sound lower. But all of your positions are going to be different, right? Um, yeah. Because the length of the horn is different. Um, and as you were saying earlier, Brian, that the, uh, the, the length of a wave is determined by the length of the horn, as it's going to be proportionate, trying to get every single thing in tune, um, so that if you try to go to seventh position, you're going to be flat. No, sharp. Um, and so you try to make it longer, then you're now in eighth position and the slide comes off. Um, no, it'll actually be flat because you pulled out. Yeah, it'll be flat. Well, no, flat, uh, sharp compared to where uh, you want to be based on the relationship of the B flat, the quote unquote B flat that you're playing after tuning, uh, pulling the tuning slide out to wherever seventh position uh, the sound should be. You're going to be sharp. Does that make sense? You can say no. No, because you, you no. pulled out the tuning slide, so you made the whole horn flat. <laughs> yes, yeah. you made the whole yeah. horn flat, but to itself, it's going to be out of tune now. No, no. It'll yes. still be in tune to itself. No, but, but it'll have its Not own harmonic position. series because you changed the length of the horn. Not quite. I, I, I know what you're saying. We're saying two completely different things. Wait, here's what I'll argue, and I'll use my trombone as an example. <laughs> we are we are we if are I arguing took... two different things right now. But okay, go oh, ahead. Okay. Well, if I took this tuning slide and pushed all the way in and played be sharp. a B flat, mm -hmm. yeah, it would be a sharp B flat, but then when I went to seventh position, I would play a um also sharp, sharp B natural. B sharp or E natural, whatever yeah. but, I choose. But if the relationship from B flat to B uh, to whatever, what what was that? B sharp, you said, or B? Just B, B natural, B, yeah. yeah. B natural, B flat to B B natural. Yeah. That relationship is actually not going to be exactly uh, just temperament. It's actually going to be if you move it uh, from first to seventh, it's not going to be an exact um, major seventh because you pushed it in because the relationship it's actually going to be flat compared to where it should be if you're going to be sharp this is why um i'm going to call out mr brown um and if he listens to this um he might not like me for this but he's wrong um when when he's right in a very minuscule sense if if you have very small error rate he's right but he's wrong when you say if you have a pitch and you're tuning to that pitch um, 
and then you change the pitch, you want to keep it at the same tuning, right? If you're sharp, you want to stay sharp. But the thing is, because the instrument is built to be in tune on a certain note, it's going to try to stay in tune on that note. Um, if you push it in, the whole saxophone is going to be, uh, all of the proportions are going to be wrong, right? Because starting at the mouthpiece to the distance to the first pad, the second pad, third pad, they're all going to be not proportionate to the, if they were, uh, if the mouthpiece were in the right place in tune. So, so the relationships are going to be wrong. All right, so like with the trombone, if you have a certain length, like you could do the math for what that standing wave would be. And so mm -hmm. say the distance from from position one to position seven is like one full meter. So you add one meter to that and you're going to get another frequency, right? So now we have frequency yep. one from position one and frequency two from position seven. So then if I was to just add basically like a DC offset to the length, so now we have frequency one with an extra length of zero and frequency two with the extra length of zero. I could now do frequency one with the extra length of one meter, which that's ending up, that's going to end up being frequency two now because frequency one was just one length. Frequency two was that length plus one meter. So if I add an extra meter to that, now frequency one becomes frequency two and frequency two becomes, um, uh, frequency the original frequency two plus two meters now so it has that same as two meters of offset and you're saying that the relationship between those two pitches there in terms of hertz would be different than the, the others yes uh in terms of sense would probably be a better way to think about it because that's linear and not exponential uh, but yes they are going to be the relationships are going to be different if you if you played in tune B flat to in tune B seventh position versus out of tune B flat to out of tune B natural seventh position both in the same spots they're going to be two different intervals. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's do the math. Let's do the math right now. So frequency equals they both uh, they will sound different. They're not going to be half steps. Because you change the length of the horn, you change one part of the length so of the horn. I think they will still be. Well, what do you mean? Not exactly. Adrian's gonna try to try this. I know it's true. It's part of physics, and I might not be saying it um, in a way that you're gonna. Uh, I'm using very like um, basic vernacular, um, and you're using much more complicated vernacular adrian's playing right now if i'm wrong and adrian i am i wrong adrian huh am i wrong oh i played the b flat i pulled it out and i played the b flat and it was flat and i played the b natural and it was sharp that's exactly what it should be that is correct that is correct um because um the relationship from the low B flat uh, to the B natural, you'd actually have to, because you increase the length of the horn, you're going to have to increase proportionately as you go further out, which would then, you would go into eighth position. You'd have to increase okay. the length of the entire horn proportionately, is what you're I'm totally saying. You're totally right. Okay, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. 
All right. That was a very <laughs> circular way to go through it. Okay. That's a really good. No, I understand now. This is why and Mr. Brown is incorrect. I just did make sense. Yeah, this is why Mr. Brown is incorrect. I love Mr. Brown. He's amazing. But this exercise he does where he says, um, play a note. Uh, all right. It's sharp. Keep it that way. Don't try to make it go in tune. Now play another note and make sure it's the same number of cents sharp. Um, that's a good thing. You want to be able to keep it the same sharpness, but the instrument will fight you like effing crazy because um, like it's meant to be in tune, especially at higher quality professional horns. Um, okay. If you try yeah. to play, it's going to move um, to try to get more in tune. That's why you played, when you played the B natural, the further out you went, it went sharp. As opposed to playing flat like it should. Okay, so, that makes sense. Um, Mr. Brown is oh. right when you're like five cent, when, when you're barely off. But when you get closer to like 20, 30, 40 cents, close to a half step off, you then, like, it, it doesn't quite apply. So that exercise is all in good, but you can't do it um and try to keep it in tune if you pull the mouthpiece all the way out um for saxophones or the uh, brass uh tuning flat all the way out so cool fun fact for you um cool. and you can try it on any instrument um and this works in string instruments it's actually the best way to do it on string instruments you loosen the tension right you tune it to say baroque tuning all your positions are going to be lower uh, say playing cello or all your positions are going to be closer to where you're bowing and you can't actually play as high not only because the thing is lower but because um all the positions are going to be moving further and further down just like a trombone isn't that cool that's <laughs> yeah, pretty sick cool. I, I learned <laughs> so yeah so this is why um i think sound engineering and music i mean they, the math and everything it just like collides like it's it's so important i feel to understand this so at least a very basic level and we've just talked for about two and a half hours yeah it, I don't it's know. been a fun podcast i've i've learned a lot i've had a good time uh and, and Brian, like a joe rogan style podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um we talked way too long about this it's cl getting close to our bedtimes probably yeah. um, um brian do you have anything you'd like to plug or um yeah anything sure. like that I'll plug my research group in the geo uh, sciences. They're awesome. Sure. Um, I'll plug my mom. She's awesome. My girlfriend <laughs> Amanda. Um. Yeah, come listen to listen to the Symphonic Winds group, whatever platform we end up going with, and the jazz the jazz too. bands album. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Uh, and we have two out. jazz bands now. We have the lab band and the jazz orchestra. Which is the first time in since Dr. G came here, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and so if, I'm excited for that. If anyone's super interested in my research, you could reach out to me or um, stay posted on the geosciences um, seminar schedule for my thesis proposal sometime this semester. So that'll be happening. Um, and it'll mm -hmm. be in an online Zoom format. Mm -hmm. I haven't scheduled it yet, but. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah, man. Will we'll soon. And I think people are allowed to join in, so. Yep, I think yeah. that's about it. Well, right, um, this has been awesome. I mean, we, uh, we've talked for way too long about this, and 
I expected this to only be like an hour long, but nope. <laughs> Two and a half hours later. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Have fun editing. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh my god, this is gonna be that's all me, yeah. Um so anyway, thank you, thank you so much for being on. And uh our listeners, we had Aaron and Ryan uh both listening. Um so thank you so much for listening and well take care and